it is great to see so many of you in church this morning and especially those of you who are following us in this service online. I thank God also, in spite of this morning, my heart is troubled. And yet, God has given me the strength this morning. The title of the sermon this morning is God is the ruler yet. There was this story about Muhammad Ali. You know, he was the world's greatest boxer once, heavyweight boxing champion, and he has just taken his seat in a Boeing 747. And the aircraft was about to take off on the runway. The flight attendant walked by and noticed that Muhammad Ali did not have his seatbelt on. And so this flight attendant told him, please fasten your seatbelt, sir. He looked proudly and snapped at the flight attendant. Superman don't need no seatbelt. Without hesitation, this lady flight attendant stared at him and said, Superman don't need no plane. In this sermon today, we are going to learn about a king who is proud, just as proud as Muhammad Ali, arrogant. But this king is also politically as obsessed with power. Let us now commit our time to the Lord. Now, sovereign Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you, Lord Jesus. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Today's sermon title is actually taken from the Methodist hymnal. Four, actually, it's 414. Sorry, 144. And these are the words which may be too small for you. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong. God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let earth be glad. What a wonderful hymn by Maltby Davenport Babcock, a Presbyterian minister from New York, who wrote this wonderful hymn that we sing quite a number of times in church. But especially this stanza, 
This third sensor is essential for us this morning. Our sharing this morning is in three parts. We will be dealing first with the death of James and the deliverance of Peter and the death of Herod. I will be covering Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 24, verse by verse. Now we find that in Acts chapter 12, there have been attempts to stop the proclamation of the gospel. First, we see in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, which talks about, which tells us about the arrest and trial of Peter and John by the Sanhedrin for preaching the gospel after they had healed the lame beggar who was begging in front of the temple gate. Remember these famous words of Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but this I have give to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he went leaping, praising God. And for this, does not, does not make the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees happy about it. So they stopped Peter and John. The second attempt is recorded, was recorded in Acts chapter 5, verse 17 to 23. This is also about the second arrest of the apostles by the Sadducees to get rid of the apostles and their, and their teaching. So, here we see a two-pronged persecution on the early church in Acts chapter 12, in the book of Acts, actually. We have first persecution by the religious authorities, the Jewish religious leaders. Secondly, is political by the political authorities. And these two things led to the death of James, the apostle, the disciple of Jesus Christ. So let's look at the death of James. James was beheaded. Well, it was a political persecution. If we see in Acts chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now, in this Bible, we have read about quite a number of heralds, H-E-R-O-D, and sometimes we don't know which herald we are we talking to or referring to. These herald who beheaded James was Herod Agrippa I. To know something about him, his grandfather was Herod the Great, responsible for killing the infant boys in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. He heard about Jesus who's going to be king, but he cannot be because he wants to be king. His uncle, Herod Antipas, 
was responsible for beheading John the Baptist. So we see the line of heralds are violent people. They kill people. They kill even their own families. Then who was this James? As I mentioned, James was one of the disciples of Jesus Christ. He was in the inner circle together with Peter and John. He was also known as the son of Zebedee and together with John, the sons of thunder. Because of their aggressiveness, they were labelled the sons of thunder. So this James is not the other brother, the, the, the other James was the half-brother of Jesus. So the political persecution of the early Christians by Herod Agrippa I met with approval in Acts chapter 12, verse 3. Met with approval by the what? Among the Jews. And so Herod was so beholden that he also arrested Peter. And this happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. The festival of the unleavened bread normally lasts seven days, which is different from the Passover, the feast of the Passover, which happens only one day. So we see political persecution by Herod Agrippa for his political agenda. And we see the religious persecution by the Sadducees. And who, does, who, are the, who were the Sadducees? They were the religious faction. They wielded great societal power. And they had the backing of the Roman authorities. Well, they were also what, jealous of the influence of the apostles. And they do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They could not accept that Christ rose from the dead. This is what the, the Sadducees strongly believe in. So, friends, we see the death of James, followed by the imprisonment of Peter. And so, sometimes we think, how could evil? triumph. The early Christians, they were shocked by the sudden death of James and added to the hopelessness is, was the, the imprisonment of Peter. Even as we look around the world today, We, it doesn't take us long to see whether evil is winning the day. Sometimes we ask ourselves, even about our nation and the world today, is evil winning the day? And sometimes we ask God, where are you when evil strikes, when people die for no actions which they have done? People who are attending church like you and me could be even killed. 
people who are wicked, they prevail. Have you asked yourself this question? When I was holding the position of general manager for one multinational company, I was strongly against corruption. Very strong. My boss put me there in that position, which I learned was to clean up the place. But that, come, that came with a price. It came with a price. My boss, they tried all sorts of things on him. Black magic. But he was a very true uh, believer of Islam. So they could not touch him. And so they touched his son. And his son died of an unknown death, which the Malays talk about it as Santau. It's black magic. They put all sorts of things, even, what I call that, coins thrown into our offices. So much so that our offices, my boss and uh, and, uh, my boss office and my, my office, we only have one lock, even the security people don't have the lock. And one evening, when I came back, it was raining the whole day. And what happened was, my wife noticed, why are there yellow powder on the roof of your car? And why is, are there rice along the edge of the roof of the car? And before that, actually, I found a lemon wound with red thread with a screw placed on top of that lemon. And I knew it was a voodoo thing. But that did not touch me, thanks to the protection of God. So friends, always interpret our circumstances by God's love. Let me repeat. Always interpret whatever circumstances you are in by God's love not God's love by our circumstances. I repeat, always interpret our circumstances by God's love, not God's love by our circumstances. Today we are praying first item for the nations where persecution happens. That is this Persecution watch list 2022 this year. In fact, it came out in May this year. And the source comes from Open Doors. There was a list of 50 nations where Christians may be persecuted in some degree, some very strongly, and some to a lesser degree. The top ranking, the first one is, is Afghanistan. The second, North Korea. The third, Somalia. The fourth, Libya. 
the fifth Yemen. As I said, there were 50 in the list. Malaysia entered the list, the bottom, number 50, this year. As you are all aware, as you are all aware of the disappearance of Raymond Ko and others, of the issue of Allah, the banning of the Bibles. Tertullian, the Christian, early Christian apologist, theologian and moralist from Carthage, North Africa, writes this statement. The blood of martyrs is the seed of the church, meaning that a martyr's willing sacrifice of their lives leads to the conversion of others. And we see James died as a martyr. And then the first martyr was Stephen. But the first apostle to die as a martyr was James. There's a story by Chuck Swindoll. And I like this. Those of us who like to eat codfish. The Americans, a lot of Americans like to eat codfish. And so what happened was, the codfish that must be eaten must be fresh. So what happened is what? They, they caught the fish, the codfish, and they froze the fish. But then the codfish lost its flavor. So then what they do was, <coughs> they tried to put the codfish live in the tank of water. But yet the codfish did not taste well, did not have its flavor. And so one person has a very creative idea. Why not put the enemy of the, cat, of the codfish into the tank? And that is the catfish. The catfish. When you put the catfish in the tank, the catfish will chase the codfish. And as a result of that, the codfish becomes more strengthened by swimming more and the fish becomes much more tastier. Sometimes we ask the question, is there a catfish in your tank? Is there a catfish in your tank? Sometimes we can be in this tank where there is a catfish chasing us. It is painful enough to stay in the tank. But then there are God's appointed catfish, catfish to bring sufficient tension to keep us alive, to keep us alert, to keep us fresh and growing. God sends problems to us designed to make us a stronger person. Stronger in faith, stronger in confidence, and most importantly, stronger in terms of experience so that we could reach out to those who are undergoing difficult situations. There was this study by Neil Isaiah, assistant professor of Nanyang Technological University. He published this article, Paradoxes of Pluralism, 
privilege and persecution, explaining Christian growth and decline worldwide, as published in the Sociology of Religion journal. And in this study, he analyzed 166 nations and suggests that the biggest threat to Christianity vitality is not persecution, but what happens when there is no persecution? When there is persecution, it even strengthens the church. I can remember Gandhi says, when Christianity was spreading in India, he told the people, don't kill the Christians. Because the more you do to them, the fire will spread even further. They will even become more and more in, and grow in strength. That is an interesting study to study. Especially churches who have got privilege in the Western countries, which you can see as evidence. In Europe, when the church was protected by their countries, the presidents, the royalty, and what happened to them? You find churches closing down. But the church grew much more in countries where there is persecution. So the takeaway, friends, when evil prevails, be reminded that God rules and overrules. God is controlled. Remember we sang the hymn, God is the ruler yet. Also, friends, please remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. Nobody can stop the gospel of Christ. No one. So let us reflect on the first question. How do you maintain hope and trust that God will deal with evil and the people behind it? A tip for you. We read in the call to worship, Psalms 37. Let's take two minutes to look into this, to reflect.
Let's look now at the second part. The deliverance Oops, of Peter. Next chapter 12, verse 4 to 5, it says, after arresting him, that means Peter, Herod put him in prison, handing over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. That means there were four, like four ships. Each ship has four soldiers. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Actually, Herod was, trying, was what? Intending to kill him, just like he killed James. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So we ask ourselves, why this extra length to go and imprison Peter? Because Herod Agrippa the first learned that Peter and John had mysteriously escaped from custody before. You can go back and read Acts chapter 5, verses 17 onwards, even to 25. And so he wants to make sure that this time there is no escape. As I was preparing sermon now, I watched the movie Escape from Alcatraz. And those of you in San Francisco, you would have visited Alcatraz. Nobody has ever escaped from Alcatraz, Alcatraz and leave. But that escape, there's a story, it's a fiction. The inmates or the prisoners did everything by themselves. But in this case, it was deliverance by God through the angel of the Lord. And so we also read that the church was praying earnestly for Peter's release. And this brings us to the question of earnest prayer. What do we mean by earnest prayer? Do we pray earnestly we find that sometimes we do not pray earnestly until we are in deep trouble. And there's a time you really earnestly pray to the Lord. At other times, you take it for granted. Lord, okay, that's all. When you are in deep trouble, you do not need to learn how to pray also. The words will come from you. The Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. You will pray earnestly. And so, because of the prayer, Peter has a miraculous escape. So it's recorded, it was recorded in Acts chapter 12, verse 6 to 7. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off 
Peter's wrist. There was a similar miracle where the chains fell off in later part of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, 16, verses 25 to 26, regarding Paul and Silas. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Even though they were in prison, they can still sing and pray. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a, such violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Their chains fell off. Not only the chains of Paul and Silas, the other prisoners. How could you sleep when you are chained the right hand to the left hand to two Roman soldiers? And knowing that you are going to die the next morning, Peter could still sleep soundly and peacefully. There are two instances where Peter slept. One commentator says that Peter does not suffer from insomnia. Those of us who suffer from insomnia must learn from Peter. He had a peace of God in him. But friends, you cannot have the peace of God unless you make peace with God. I repeat, you cannot have the peace of God unless you make peace with God. Peter has the peace of God in him. The first instance was during the transfiguration of Jesus. Can you imagine that spectacular moment during the transfiguration of Jesus Christ? Peter was sleeping. The second time, Peter slept was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Christ has to tell him three times, watch and pray for me. But Peter slept. Friends, are we sleeping? And so, Peter was sleeping so soundly that the angel of the Lord had to strike him on the side to wake him up. Can you imagine that? So soundly sleeping, the angel got to strike him up, strike him on the side. Wake up, Peter. Wake up. Friends, remember, God promises to keep each one of you in perfect peace if you turn your thoughts to Him and keep your mind stayed on Him, trusting on Him. The interesting thing to read about this passage was about His chains fell off Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, had this scene in mind when he wrote the verse of his great hymn, And Can It Be, in UMH 363. 
when the first bulletin was printed out, I saw it. Ah, that, that stanza, fourth stanza is missing. And that is the most important one for today's sermon. It was printed as first, first stanza, second, second stanza, and third stanza. But the fourth stanza come from here. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. So I like Charles Wesley hymns. Because why? Every hymn has a scriptural basis. And this hymn, this stanza, fourth stanza of And Can It Be, was taken from Acts chapter 12. What can we say about Peter's miraculous deliverance from prison? It is compared to a sinner's deliverance from bondage to sin. Remember the lyrics of this hymn? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, bound in sin and nature's light. Friends, are you bound, chained in your sin or by something else? When we see the light of Christ, remember, the, 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 the verse, thine eye diffuse a quickening ray. I walk the dungeon flame with light. When we see the light of Christ, your chains that imprison you will fall out. They fall off. And when the chains fell off, your heart was free. And you rose, and you rise, went forth, and followed him. Friends, what are the chains that are binding you, that are imprisoning you? Are those the chains of gambling, addition to gambling? The chains of fear? When the pastor asks you to pray, you say, I'm fear, I cannot, I cannot. You are bound in a chain of fear. Or alcohol. Or the devil's stronghold in your mind. Remember, when we see the light of Christ, the devil's stronghold by the chains will fall off. Am I chained in any way, shape or form? Bitterness, resentment, hatred, a lack of love for others. This is a question that we need to look through. And as we continue, Verse 8 to 9. Then the angel said to him, 
Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Can you imagine? Peter has to be told what to do. Put on your clothes, put on your sandals, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. He must be very sleepy. Still in his sleep. Peter then followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was, do, was doing, was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. And verse 10 to 11 continues to tell us, they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord had sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. What a miraculous escape. Then we were told, the people, the Christians, were praying earnestly for him. But sometimes, we have this doubt of answered prayer. So even while the church prayed for Peter, they found it hard to believe that God actually answered their prayer. How many times are we like these believers? We pray earnestly for something, and when God answers our prayer, we ignore the prayer because what? We are so busy praying for answers to prayer. I repeat, when God answers prayer and we, we ignore the answer because we are so busy praying for answers to prayer. And that we can see in Acts chapter 12, verse 12 to 14. When this has dawned on him, referring to Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. It's so wonderful, you know, when somebody walks up to you and says, I've been praying for you. This morning as I walked to church, come to the church, Connie said to me, Chokau, I've been praying for you this morning. I'm very much encouraged by that. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed, so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. And what was she told? You are out of your mind. You see? Doubtful? Even though praying? They told her. But when she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. They couldn't believe that the prayer was answered. If we had a prayer meeting tonight, and we are praying for rain, maybe it was a very high 
or dry weather for the last few months. And we are praying for rain. It's God send the rain. But then how many of us come to the church prayer meeting with an umbrella? We should be carrying umbrella to the church. We continue. But Peter kept on knocking and they opened the door and saw him. They were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James. Now this James referring to the half-brother of Jesus. Tell James. So, we talk about uh, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. And we did not hear about Peter after that. We begin to hear more of Paul and Silas. And then in verses 18 to 19, in the morning, what happened? There was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered them they be executed. In other words, if you are a guard, Roman guard, if a prisoner escapes, the punishment is death. So friends, the takeaway message is this. Since God is almighty and in control, He can easily deliver you and I from humanly impossible situations if it is His will. No prison can shut God out or keep His servants in if He wills to free them. This is about what our Lord will do. God is our sovereign God. Let's look at the second reflection. Think about the things in your life that seems like a prison. Are you feeling you cannot escape from the addiction of gambling, alcoholism, or even revenge? Why not ask God to remove these shackles and chains so that you'll be set free Let's take two minutes to reflect.
We come to the final part of today's sharing. The death of Herod Agrippa I. In Acts chapter 12, verse 20, 24, Before that, uh, sorry, I'm reading 2024. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal assistant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal clothes, royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of God, not, not of a man. And what happened? Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, An angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. The Jewish historian Josephus had a similar description of the death of King Agrippa I. The only thing is that Josephus gave a much more detailed account than that of Luke. In, the, in, Luke, uh, in Acts chapter 12. Here we see King Agrippa I was wearing a splendid cloak, according to Josephus. It was so silvery and was shining, reflecting the rays of the sun, that the people behold, behold him and say, Yeah, this is the voice of God. And he did not give the glory to God. And the angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and he died. What does it tell us? The danger of pride and contempt for God and man. Here we see Acts chapter 12, verses 21 to 23 describes the failure of Herod Agrippa to give glory to God. With the result, he was struck dead by the angel of the Lord. And not only that, eaten by worms. The takeaway, friends, is this. Before the takeaway, I'd just like to share with you one story parallel to this, to that of King Agrippa I. This is a modern-day incident, a true incident. Tancredo Neves ran for the presidency of Brazil in the 1980s. He boldly declared that if he got 500,000 votes from his own party, not even God could keep him from being president. He was so boastful. He won the election. But one day later, he got sick and died. There is no way to know if God accepted his challenge. But what we can know for sure is that human beings should not make such bold, arrogant statements.
So the takeaway is this for us to take note. There is no power greater than God who ultimately reigns over every human leader, evil or good. Secondly, the gospel of Jesus Christ is unstoppable because the, the, that verse 24 of Exodus 12 says, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. And still today, the word of God continues to spread and flourish. Let's look at reflection number three. What does pride do to you? This morning I received a quotation, a quote from one of my classmates. He says, he talks about this word ego, E-G-O. You have ego, take away the E and then let go. The left is O, go. Take away the E of ego and go without the ego. What a good quotation. It came at the right time. I received this morning at 5.15 a.m. What does pride do to you? Secondly, what are the ways to overcome pride in your life? Let's spend two minutes on this. Friends, in conclusion, remember God is almighty. God is not just mighty, God is almighty and can easily remove the most powerful and proud leaders 
when it is his time to do so. And let us not forget, God is the ruler yet. Never forget, God is the ruler yet. Let us pray. Lord, help us to never become discouraged when thing, bad things happen. And never to lose hope when evil seems to triumph over good. Remind us that your redemptive purposes are always being accomplished even in the midst of suffering and evil. You always show your goodness to those who choose to seek you. And you work all things together for good to those who love you. We are so blessed to be your child. In Jesus' name, Amen.